You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Rocha. This is a true supposed to be special. Uh, unlike what we usually do, which is sort of a, a shear or sometimes nebuch, we've had harochas and spadim. This is really a conversation uh, between someone that I've come to really cherish as a resource, a friend, a person who can hold forth and from a wealth of, uh, of knowledge and understanding, not only of halacha, uh, where he's written so masterfully and wonderfully, but especially in the world that he teaches at every university, uh, Rabbi Michael Broyd, who um, is agreed to have this conversation, especially in light of what is happening in the United States, uh, the discussion of overturning Roe v. Wade, um, I'm going to take the liberty to sort of read uh, some of the thoughts that you penned and sent to me. Um, and on the heels of that, uh, we can start talking about some of the ideas that uh, uh, you brought up to be in a previous conversation. And perhaps we can expand it for the benefit of the people listening here. And of course, for those that are going to be part of the hopefully thousands and thousands, Rabbi Broyd, who will be downloading this conversation and, and getting a benefit from it. So just to, uh, without putting words in your mouth, uh, Rabbi Broyd wrote this uh, um, with all the ink spilled over the possible overturning of Roe and the possible return of abortion rights to the 50 states for regulation. It's surprising that not much has been written on the important Jewish law question. What is halachic Judaism's perspective on what the fetal protection should be in the secular legislation, that is the hallmark of the United States government. Neither Roe nor its repeal exactly parallels Jewish law. If rabbis, poskim, and traditional Jewish philosophers and ethicists could fashion the abortion law in America, what would it be? Um, and on the basis of that, I know, Rabbi Ford, you have, a, 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 I think, some very interesting thoughts um, and a perspective. So. Um, why don't you begin to uh, to share some of those? And, you know, I- I'll interrupt you in a very um, delicate manner. Thank you very much. You don't have to be delicate. Um, I think I want to focus on four basic ideas in the course of this conversation. The first um, is, is that, in general, the consensus is, is there is no halachic obligation for Jews to encourage non-Jews to observe the Noahide law. Second, even though there is no technical obligation, maybe it's a good idea in some circumstances and in the right situation. Um, Third, exactly because there's no technical obligation, sometimes we pass over the obligation when the costs are high. And finally, abortion is a particularly complicated case of this because abortion is the rare case where a reasonable read of the Noahide law makes it more strict than the halacha. And thus it's almost impossible to craft uh, a secular law that is both consistent with halacha and consistent with Noahide law. We see no way um, to craft such a law. Um, and that's just an important idea. In most areas, 
we would generally say the best thing for secular society to do would be in some form or another to codify Noahide law. But maybe not so here, because the codification of Noahide law here restricts access under halacha. And if I'm sure of one thing in the United States, it's that there is no chance that the secular law will have two abortion laws, one for Gentiles and one for Jews. That I'm 100% certain of. And thus we're forced to try to craft a secular law that works for everybody. That's what I wanna to try to address. And I wanna figure out what is our idea here. Robert Berg, let's just, you know, I know you, you come, your perch is a learned one. Let us just uh, elaborate for those that might not understand it. I think you, I know you're going to get into it, but we're not going to get into it in that great detail. But we know that uh, what we call harigas ubrim or, or abortion is considered a, uh, a, I guess, part of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, and it will be included under uh, right? That's correct. The simplest understanding of the Gemara, which is the consensus, is, is that um, the Noahide Code prohibits murder, and under the prohibition of murder is the prohibition to have an abortion. When exactly is an abortion prohibited as a form of murder is a categorical dispute among the Rishonim and the Achronim for B'nai Noach and for Jews. But what is clear is that um, abortion is murder uh, under the Noahide Code, and um, and there's a distinct, well-established train of thought which says abortion is never murder in halacha, at least until the process of birthing has begun. Right. So, so it, it, we start this area of theory where we would perhaps have the mitzvahs b'nei noach binding, let's say, even in a place like the United States, you were saying that that would, what that would do is that would create a stricter uh, bar for the the non-Jews than for the Jews. But really what that would mean is that everyone would have to uh, kowtow to the stricter one. In other words, Jews who aren't bound by mitzvahs b'nei noach, but the mitzvahs of the Torah, would have to be machmir, so to speak. And you think that, so you're, you're saying that would be uh, a difficult situation? And maybe even a situation in, in narrow cases that produce, and it's not just a chumrah, um, there might very well be situations where halacha mandates an abortion and um, Noahide law flatly prohibits this abortion. For century, maybe millennia, this was not a problem because there was no real idea of secular law in Barcelona, Spain in the year 1300. Um, uh, Jewish law governed Jews, Catholic law governed Catholics, and if the Jews were more lenient, their law was more lenient. But in America, there is not going to be an abortion law depending on your faith. That I'm very sure of. So if we passed a secular abortion law that codified at least many versions of Noahide law, it's not obvious that uh, Ben Noach is permitted to have an abortion merely because of a risk to the health of the mother. Um, whereas I think 
the overwhelming majority of halachic authorities not only permit that abortion, but even mandate that abortion. A woman who says having a child is a 10% risk to my life, I think would be required as a matter of halacha to have an abortion. A codification of Noahide law here is not a chumrah or a kula. It's a different legal system. Sometimes it's a chumrah, sometimes it's a kula, but it will sometimes create obligations that are antithetical. I, 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 I seem to remember, and, and maybe there's others here who are listening who could perhaps pipe, pipe in on this, but I know there is a discussion, I think it's the Mishnah Lamelech who perhaps speaks about this, whether a non-Jew as a no ben Noach um, has the principle of v'chai bahem, which of course is only uh, in the Torah, but is that logical idea true, that even though he has to keep the Sheva Mitzvahs, he does not have to keep the Sheva Mitzvahs necessarily um, if it costs him his life, you, you, right? So you, you seem to be assuming that his adherence and fealty to those seven mitzvahs, including the idea of not going through an abortion, would even be to the point of their own death. So I, I don't have to go that far. Maybe a non-Jew is permitted to have an abortion in a case of rodeth, but maybe it, it has to be the standard of more likely than not. All of this is a dispute among the Achronim. Um, as to what Jewish law really requires for non-Jews, which is a somewhat abstract and distant question that naturally halacha didn't tightly focus on. At one end is Revaren Lichtenstein, who assumes that the nullified prohibition against murder doesn't apply until fetal viability. At another end is the alternative possibility presented in the Minchas Pinoch, which is that even the heter of Rodev doesn't apply to a Ben Noach. Maybe. There's a variety of opinions here, but certainly there are mainstream normative opinions in halacha that prohibit abortion in situations where halacha would mandate those abortions. No doubt about that. So Noachide law and halacha are not chumra and akula like they are in most situations, but there are two competing legal systems. You know, most people here, I think, are familiar with the Rambam. Uh, and you mentioned this to me in a previous conversation, the Rambam at the end of Hilchas Malochim, towards the end, uh, where he talks about how the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noah aren't just a, a system of, uh, I guess, moral imperatives that create a just society, but they are meant to be uh, policed by the Jewish people in some clearly some sort of messianic type of situation where we sort of run the world, and that's sort of what we're talking about theoretically. Um, so again, the Rambam, as, as I think you know, is this champion of the idea that they have to fulfill the Sheva Mitzvahs, and not only that, but they need to fulfill it as understanding that it's coming from the Torah itself. That we are, it's, that it's not just they're fulfilling it out of their own, they're fulfilling it based on the fact that this is what Moshe Rabbeinu wants uh, through God, through using Moshe as the medium to tell the non-Jewish world what they should live by, and we need to try to support that. Now, I yes. know 
And even if I underread the Rambam, at the very least, they have to acknowledge that it comes from God, even if not at Sinai. Even if I want to underread the Rambam, right. it, it, it still it has to be godly, even if not through Moshe. Now, you, and, and you mentioned to me that the uh, that the proponent that uh, most, I guess, echoes the Rambam in the in recent times was, of course, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who who really uh, promoted a, an incredible campaign. And, and, and people don't know the level of success that the Rebbe had in that. I know there's a little groups of little um, uh, clans, I would say, without, not, not the clan, but there's, there's, there's families and, and, and communities scattered, dotted around, mostly in the American South, where they actually have copies of Chabad material based on on the Rebbe and living the Noahide laws and we, and he he put a tremendous emphasis on on pushing that now you told me that that, that he's an outlier as is the Ramba correct in the 20th century the Rebbe was undoubtedly um, uh, the single most he <laughs> was um, the single greatest pusher of this he started in his famous article in Hapardes in 1945, and it became a recurring theme of the writings of the Rebbe, both in English and in practice, that it was a mitzvah not only to force, but to encourage in any way possible non-Jews to observe the Noahide Code. I think that not only did the Rebbe want Noahide communities, but he generally wanted outreach to encourage Noahides to be, the Gentiles to be observant of the Noahide code. Yes, the Rambam is an outlier in the Rishonim. As I show in an article that was published in the Orthodox Forum more than 20 years ago, the overwhelming majority of Rishonim, uh, uh, starting with the Ramban and Tosfos and making its way slowly but surely through almost everybody. Um, they adopt the view that there's no such obligation. It's a Tosfas, it's a Ramban, it's a Rush, it can be derived from a Rashi, it's a Rashba. There's a lot of Rishonim who line up around the following idea. Um, a particular Jew or even a Jewish community has no obligation um, to encourage uh, a non-Jew to observe the Noahide laws. They say this with regard to your non-Jewish employees or maybe your non-Jewish servants. Or I don't want to use the term Avadim because an Evid Kanani has some status as a Jew and they weren't talking about an Evid Kanani. They were talking about servants. And I, I, here, I, I, these we've shown them. I seem to remember, Rabbi Broy, that you mentioned in, 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 in what you wrote, uh, a shach. So could, could you just, and I was, I'm fascinated because I'm not exactly sure what, which shach you're talking about. Could you mention what that shach is? That is? Sure. The shach in Yoridea Kufnun Aleph 151, Vav 6, makes it clear that, that not only is there no duty to encourage, um, when you're in a situation in which the non-Jew is going to sin anyway, and you want to participate in the sale in a way that's economically beneficial to you, you can participate in the sale in a way that's economically beneficial to you, 
even though that's the exact antithesis of discouraging. Meaning the Shach's point is, is that while Lifneiver Minatorah applies, Lifneiver Midrabanan, Misayeh Yedei Ovreyavera, Mitzvah Lahafrish Yehudi Meisur, the idea that you should seek to do your hardest to separate a Jew from sin is limited to a Jew. And that when I encounter a non Jew who is a willing sinner, um, there's nothing wrong with helping him sin by selling him the things he needs to sin if he can otherwise get them anyway. Um, the basic argument of the Shach is as follows. There is no real duty to stand around in a condemning way and tell non-Jews um, that they should stop sinning and that we don't have this obligation. This is a unique obligation as it relates to Jews. It's sort of driven by it's an inter-Jewish obligation that there's the mitzvah that there's a duty to separate a Jew from sinning, but there's no duty to separate a non-Jew from sinning. That seems to, that seems to, to discourage him. Okay, I, I'm not exactly sure what the exact case is, but of course you're very familiar, Rabbi Breut, the Gemara's Navaidazara, that one of the reasons why the Takana of of not dealing with the Gentiles before or the, the, the pagans before their holiday is with naiver because we don't want them to go and, and do Avodah uh through us. So that sounds a little bit contrary to what, at least the that reading in the Talmud, right? That is exactly the case the Shach is commenting on. Gofdun Aleph is in Hilchos Avodah and the Shach insists that the Gemara is to be limited to two sides of the river cases where you're the but-for provider. But if the non-Jew can buy his white chickens from many suppliers, you might as well sell him your white chickens and make a few dollars and not express to him the idea that he would be better served if he worshipped one true God. You can actively participate in, in this activity. Right. But that's, that, that's a pretty big jump from there. And I, I told you I wasn't going to Mike Wallace you today, but that's a pretty big jump from there to helping, uh, you know, uh, promote abortion, which we know, according to the Sheva Mitzvah, is, is, a, is a sniff for tzicha, right? So I don't think we should help promote abortion, but I don't think legalization helps from, is a helping of promoting abortions, particularly when our desire essentially is to permit Jews to have access to whatever halacha permits them, and simply along the way, we provide everybody with the freedom that they need. This is exactly what I think I'm advocating, which is our view should be that the government should not restrict access to abortions that um, Halacha might permit in the right circumstances, even though this will undoubtedly, this will undoubtedly permit abortions that the Sheva Mitzvahs might prohibit. I don't think that I would take up a billboard which says, have you considered having an abortion? That would be encouraging abortion, but merely saying that the secular government should um, permit something which halacha permits Jews to do um, is exactly what I think the Shach does permit. I think that that's exactly 
um, what the Shah um, does permit. You know, I, I, I found fascinating, Rabbi, that two of the sources that you base your approach on are sources that we usually look at um, as being almost radical in their opposition to any sort of change or liberalization. One of them is the, is, you mentioned the Maram Sheikh, uh, the student of Sam Sofer. So talk about how, how you uh, parse or you understand the ideas of the Maram Sheikh as not, as, who seems to have always wanted to push for a, uh, a very uh, uh, strong moral society to, to live in, and here you might you you made a case, I believe, that the Mar, according to the Maram Sheikh, things might be different. I'm not. I think the Maram Sheikh's point is as follows: um, what starts in non-Jewish society, and we don't care about, makes its way to Jewish society. If there's anything I know, it's that the Maram Sheikh is correct. We don't live anymore in a vacuum. Even in his society, they didn't live in a vacuum, and certainly in our society. We don't live in a vacuum either. And we need to be careful about what occurs in non-Jewish society, lest it come to Jewish society. But exactly in abortion, we have to be careful in both directions, which is we don't want um, that which is prohibited for non-Jews or plausibly prohibited for non-Jews to make its way into Jewish society where it's plausibly permissible. And Rabbi Blythe puts it in a slightly different way that I also like very much. Rabbi Blythe famously writes, despite the absence of a specific obligation to influence non-Jews to abide by the provisions of the Noahide Code, the attempt to do so is entirely legitimate. I think Rabbi Blythe is correct, which is... um, Apart from our universal concern, fear lest the world become corrupt, it is also very much a part of the Jewish concern and self-interest. Disintegration of the moral fabric of society affects everyone, particularly in our age where we cannot insulate against the pervasive cultural forces which mold human conduct, use of every interest in promoting a positive moral climate. But abortion might be the exception to that rule. Since the positive moral climate in the area of abortion is more liberal for Jews than non-Jews, our interest in promoting a positive moral climate is much more true in areas besides abortion, where we want more liberal abortion laws available to Jews. The only way we can get more liberal abortion laws available to Jews is to make them available to everybody. And I think, by the way, that we have a tradition of doing this. In the early, in the mid-1980s, really it started in the early 1980s, there was a spat of intense hostility to the Santeria's religion in Florida. And it culminated in the banning of animal sacrifice in houses of worship in Florida. You could hunt, um, you can kill animals for fun, you could kill animals on a movie set, but not in a church. And the church of Luca Bambalu I it, versus the city of Hylia, the Santeria sued and said, this violates our freedom of religion 
we want to be able to engage in animal sacrifice. And I'll confess to you, we all know this, the Santerias are really pagans and they really want to engage in animal sacrifice. This is about a direct violation of the Noahide code as we could imagine. And yet, I don't mean and yet, I mean yet, every single prominent Orthodox Jewish organization briefed in favor of the Santerias. They all felt that it's important to protect religious freedom everywhere, um, even if it means that um, the non-Jews are going to use their religious freedom to engage in uh, a Vodazara worship with animal sacrifice. And I always like to read to people the first footnote in the Orthodox brief submitted in this case. The brief was submitted by the National Jewish Commission on Law and Public Affairs, what's called CULPA. CULPA, this is from its first footnote, has represented the full range of major national rabbinic congregational and educational organizations within the community. This includes, and this amicus brief is submitted on behalf of Agudath Rabbanim of the United States, Agudath Rabbanim of America, National Council of Young Israel, the Rabbinical Alliance of America, the Rabbinical Council of America, Torah and Masorah, the OU, and the Unit of Orthodox Rabbis of the United States and Canada, which if you stop and think about it, is quite a collection of Orthodox Jewish organizations supporting the right of pagans to engage in animal sacrifice. And the reason why we went to bat for the pagans' right to engage in animal sacrifice is exactly because the Maram Shik's words are optional. Sometimes what ails non-Jewish society will come to ail us, but sometimes what ails non-Jewish society, which is religious freedom, including the right to be pagan, is good for us because the dominant religion views the Santerias and the Jews in the same way, and well, we benefit from that. Well, again, you know, look, does, does, again, I'm just responding, shooting from the hip. Sure. There is a uh, a Maimer Chazal that Oiv Devoi Dezorah Bezman Azeh. I mean, Goyim Bezman Azeh Oiv Devoi Dezorah B'Tahara. There's almost an, an idea that the Tfisa of Avodazara, although I'm sure there's people that will give me a, a strong argument on this, there seems to be a sheet in Chazal that holds that there's been a devolvement of real understanding of what this adherence is. And therefore, to think that this is going to turn into an Avodazara, that's one thing, that it should turn into an Avodazara wave is extremely, <laughs> the chances of that happening are minuscule or, 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 or infinitesimally small. Whereas the, uh, the, having a, a, a liberal abortion law that will not only you know, <laughs> take care of possibilities where you're allowed to get an abortion, but will actually uh, militate for abortions almost in, in, in situations where they're halachically usher, that's very different. I, I, I would say- I agree with you. My point exactly goes as follows. Um, you never know. This is not a halachic calculus. This is a political calculus. I think we gain more by being pro-freedom and letting people sin than by restricting. It's not that you couldn't be wrong. 
It's exactly because you've articulated what I'll call not a halachic calculus, but a political calculus. The odds of Santeriaism spreading are less than the odds of abortion spreading and less of a problem than occasionally prohibiting abortions that halacha either permits or even mandates. I don't have a problem with that calculus on your part. I don't think it's true, actually. And I don't think our tradition is that way, but I, I'm open to that possibility exactly because there's no chiyu here. We don't get out of chiyuvim with political calculuses. We get out of political problems with political calculuses. My point is, is that halacha recognizes that this is not a halacha calculus. But this but, is a political but, but, calculus. But when, right, but when you do have a confluence of, of the law allowing, and we know what the standard medical opinions would be, it's almost a, a wave that is so difficult for a typical, let's say, not a learned, uh, a strict, adherent Jewish woman to keep. But can you imagine that her doctor is saying, of course I would abort. Uh, the, her lawyers and people are telling you, yes, of course it's legal, where we know halachically, it's already too late in the pregnancy, and, and she probably couldn't find a heter, even from a tzitz Eliezernik. And yet, the fact that the laws are so liberal means that she's going to take that option because there's no, it's not considered verboten medically, and it's not considered verboten ethically or legally. I think that that's the most unlikely case. Late abortions are exceedingly rare in America. All the abortions that take place in the United States take place in the first trimester. Roe only permitted easy access to abortion in the first trimester. In the first trimester, it's not just that Sicilia who's lenient. It's important to understand that we're not discussing second or third trimester abortions. Even whatever Roe is, third trimester abortions could always be governed by state law. Third trimester abortions are very medically complicated. Even second trimester abortions are medically complicated. We're talking about early abortions here. Oklahoma just prohibited all abortions at the moment of fertilization. These are super early bans on abortion. We will have many states that prohibit abortions after six weeks. Um, uh, which will certainly eliminate many abortions that halacha permits. The, the, you know, the other, the other name that really struck me in, uh, in, in what you wrote to me was Ramosha Feinstein. You know, normally when we mention Ramosha Feinstein's name vis-a-vis -vis the abortion discussion, Ramosha is generally, he's the machmer, right? He's the one who wrote the article in the Sefer Azikaran for Becheskel Abramsky, later published in Igris Moshe, where uh, he is the Bachmir, he's the one who says it's a, a, a Abizrayu de Ritzicha. And I thought it was great and fascinating, and I'd like you to talk about this, how you actually see in Rav Moshe uh, an approach that is, 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 is quite different. Uh, not necessarily well, I about- I don't think Rav Moshe's approach to abortion is different. I think Rav Moshe's approach to secular law is different. That's what I mean. So talk about that. Rav Moshe twice, really, um, stops and, and is, um, he doesn't really want secular government 
regulating halachic matters. In his tshuva to Aguda about time of death, he says uh, the government should allow everybody to determine time of death um, as they see fit in consultation with their family community rabbi. And presumably, if I said to Ramosha, and I'm not Jewish, Ramosha would say, then I mean your priest. Ramosha doesn't want the government to be in the business of regulating private morality. He says this once in um, his Chuva to Aguda in 1977, and he says it once in his famous Russia published in Darash Moshe, uh, celebrating the 150th anniversary of the United States Constitution. Rav Moshe thinks that whatever the halacha is, there's no place for the secular government regulating private morality. I have no doubt, no doubt that Rav Moshe thought abortion was non-capital murder. But even though Rav Moshe thought it was non-capital murder, that doesn't mean that Rav Moshe thought that the secular government should regulate it. Time of death is also non-capital murder because Rav Moshe contemplates the possibility that a person who's a treifa will ask that he be killed prior to his halachic death. That's a non-capital murder as well. But Rav Moshe's point is, is that this isn't the job of the secular government not the job of the secular government to regulate Avera. Indeed, in his famous letter to Governor Carey, Ramosha lays out that it's the job of the government to prevent interpersonal violations, muggings, thefts, um, and other violations of interpersonal rules. Ramosha thought that it wasn't obvious that what Halacha wanted from secular law was that the secular law should tell me what was correct as a matter of religion and faith. If we wanted to assign Rav Moshe to a political camp in the 1970s, we would call him somewhat libertarian in the sense that he knows what the Halacha is, but he wants the secular government to stay clear of telling people what the halacha really is. It's not that he's soft on abortion. He's no Tzitz Eliezer. He's no Rabbi Herschel Schechter. He is hard on abortion, but he's soft on Dina de Malchusadina. He wants the government to regulate only those areas of secular law that involuntarily affect other people. They didn't want the regulation by the secular government of matters of my personal religious faith. That's what I think is Rav Moshe's take. And thus, I think when I say to Rav Moshe, do I want the government regulating abortion? I have no idea if Rav Moshe would say yes or no. I'm inclined to think Rav Moshe would be libertarian because his general strategy was libertarian. So I don't want to misrepresent Rav Moshe's view. Rav Moshe thought abortion was an abizrayu de recifa. And he thought that uh, allowing a gosase to die before they were dead, killing a gosase was an abizrayu of recifa as well. And yet he permitted each person to do as their conscience directed them, 
in the case of end of life. And I think he would have permitted that by abortion as well, even though when I asked him, he would have said, oh, but that's a sin. Okay. Or Moshe didn't think it was the job of the secular government to regulate sin. So if I went to Ramosha and said, you want to criminalize the Tzitz Eliezer's you, I assume Ramosha would have said, God forbid. I want to tell you it's a sin, but not criminalize it. And let me add that I have a sense that there's a tradition of Psach, that the people who are strict on abortion matters, in theory, refer to the people who are lenient on abortion matters, in fact, creating a, a halacha of abortion that's more liberal in practice than it actually is in theory. It's well known that Rosh Hashanah Orbach, who thought abortion was murder, nonetheless sent Shilas to the Tzitz Eliezer. And it's no secret that that's true in a variety of other settings as well. Yeah, you, you know, Rabbi Bord, I just, you know, you mentioned uh, the... Uh, Drosha that Ramosha gave not long after his arrival in the United States. And, um, and the, although we're not really speaking, I guess, in the strict area of Psak and Halacha, I, I sort of get the sense that Ramosha was so taken by, first of all, the amazing difference between the freedoms he was experiencing here in the United States compared to the horrible conditions that he had to suffer under in Russia. Um, and it's not surprising that he should be a cheerleader for the 150th um, anniversary of celebrating uh, the freedom in the United States or whatever the, the, the reason why that uh, Russia was, was not. But, you know, Ramosh had a lot of what I would say um, opinions that are somewhat, you know, a, a product of who he was, somewhat anachronistic. I mean, he talks, uh, uh, when he speaks about um, uh, the uh, arguing with Mishnabura so forcefully about doctors, uh, you know, uh, being Machal Shabbos for non-Jews, which, you know, the Mishnabura was, uh, was, was, was Machmir on, he, he, he's worried about an America that, although is so full of freedoms now, could clasp shut upon us and impose an iron hand. And, and you can see that, that he doesn't want the Jews to ever be considered uh, members who don't appreciate what America has given them. Uh, this, is, this also, I think, motivates Rav Moshe's uh, letter about how important it is to vote in elections, that we should never be perceived as a minority that doesn't appreciate our freedoms. In other words, I think what I'm trying to say is, is that don't you believe that these statements really reflect Rav Moshe's emotional fear, so to speak, of wanting America to stay the way it is? But do you think they can be used as policy so many years later for us, which is what you're writing about? I never know the answer to any of that. I think Ramosha's fears still resonate with me. But whether they resonate or not is a policy decision uh, and is not driven by halacha. What are your fears um, determines what are your policies. Uh, well, not what determines what are, is your, the halacha. 
the, I the, agree with you. The, the, in other words, Rav Moshe came from a, a he, his, he cut his teeth as a posek and as a rav in a place where the dominant government imposed and stopped and limited and, 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 and crushed people with, a, with a, an ideology that, or this is the way things have to be. I think we, I think we realize America is not going to necessarily get that way. And do, do you, let me ask you, do you believe that if abortion laws are tightened in all these states, that there's going to be a ripple effect where our religion is going to be imposed upon, the freedom to practice our mitzvahs are also going to be imposed upon, which is, I guess, I, which I think what Ramosha was scared about. I, I, I really don't know. I worry, of course, that um, majoritarian rule in a Christian society starts to suppress Judaism. I, I find it hard to not believe everybody worries about that. Whether that's the only worry I have, it's not the only worry. I totally agree with you. But it's a worry. Majoritarian ethics, um, which is the rights of the majority to impose their ethical values on all of us, um, hasn't served us well in the long term. We've always benefited from a a more liberal community than, uh, um, than a stricter Of course, I have that as a fear. It's not the only fear, but it's a fear. Listen, Rabbi Boyd, far be it from me to to try to debate you in areas of American law or American history. The only thing I can remember, you know, scratching my head, you know, without preparation, is the blue laws, where because of uh, the strict understanding of the Bible of the Sabbath of Sunday, so many Jews were unable to uh, engage in business uh, in days where otherwise, you know, they, they, they risked penury because they weren't open on Saturday. And because of the blue laws, they couldn't be open on Sunday. And so many... Well, that's people- a great example. I guess we believe that it's nice that the non-Jews commemorate the creation of the world by having a day of rest. And wouldn't it be even nicer if they did so on Saturday? But how do we feel about Sunday blue laws? Do we like them? Right. And, and we, so we know that actually, it's interesting, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and others were really at the forefront of trying to um, get those blue laws repealed because they, they, ended, they were an incredible impediment for Jews making a, a living in the first part of the 20th century. And, I, I got it. So I, I just think that that's, that's exactly correct. There's an obligation to look out for ourselves. And we need to look out for the best interests of the Jewish community. Well, right, but uh, other than that, can you think of a place where, because there was sort of a godly, a biblical uh, viewpoint, that it ended up restricting our freedom of religion in, in, in history? I mean, there's other people here on, on the call, maybe they can Well, I think in general, religious freedom and the rights of the Jewish community to prosper have been inversely proportional to the general religion of society. The more secular society is, the greater religious freedom is given to Jews. That's so far been the history of of America. I have to concur, even though most 
uh, Orthodox rabbis seem to say the opposite. Thank you. Richard. Uh, I don't know who you are, Richard, but your, um, your music to my ears. It's obviously so statistically. Jews flourish in New York, Chicago, California. The more evangelically Christian society becomes, the more discrimination there is and the less economically successful Jews are. This seems obvious to me. Is this going to be forever? I have no idea. But I, I, I don't think it's hard to show that we do better in a liberal society um, than in a conservative society. I don't think that's hard to show. I think that's easy to show. So I support that idea. Richard, you, when you say that you've heard Orthodox rabbis argue the opposite, what do you mean? Most vocal, if you look at the, the Jewish press, you look at any uh, mainstream Jewish Orthodox publication, and they're all uh, don't vote liberal, don't uh, buy by liberal policies, uh, and it's exactly what the rabbi is saying. And, and, I, and I bang my head every, in every shul I go to almost anywhere, ex, maybe except Teaneck, where the, the, the mainstream thought is that you have to support, quote unquote, the, the most moral thinking people who are equated with the ultra rightist Christians, who, as I think the rabbi has had point on, is that, that, that their agenda is dangerous to uh, a Jewish agenda. To, to put to, to summarize, uh, you would say that we should have a standoffish uh, approach, and maybe even in some ways uh, push for um, the, the retaining of Roe v. Wade, if possible. Or, or some sort of model. I would favor if I could craft the abortion law of the United States. I would adopt the rule that Aguda had which is every restriction on abortion can be waived by consultation with your religious, ethical, or uh, other personal authority. Nobody's right to practice abortion as their religion directs should be restricted by statute. That's not Michael Broy, that's Aguda, uh, that, that bastion of liberalism. Um, it's well known, and Aguda has put in writing that, um, quote, and I, and I quote from it, while the Aguda has supported legislation limiting the current right to abortion, it has always taken pains in legislatures and courts to stress that it can only support such laws if they include a religious exemption clause. I agree with Aguda. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with the, the founding fathers were, as it were, divinely inspired when they separated church from state and were against a state-sponsored religion, because that's exactly what it leads to. Um, and I, I don't know if this is 100% accurate. People who are from Israel, uh, Rabbi Bruni, I guess we can end with this. There is uh, a, a responsibility, even in Israel, which has one of the most liberal abortion uh, laws, that there needs to be some consultation with, uh, with medical and ethical, uh, the vada meets. Uh, yes, that's right. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's a model which I don't know is, is at this point yet in the United States, but that is a model where, where it's interesting that that could be something in, in, from your perspective that uh, we could learn from the way the Israelis do it. Yes, I think that would be very good. That would be very good. I'm in favor of that. All right. You know, it, it seems like, like from our, our history, 
you know we've been we've been you know like 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 really the, the more the more corrupt and more the more we we accept everything in in our society and, and we say and, and hold everybody else that everybody else should, you know give freedom for everything everything everybody should 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 let everything go you know we should have you know gay gay this transsexuals everybody has rights to do do whatever they want and and then when we say somebody wants to start doing moral things then then, then we, we we step back and we don't and we don't support them I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of hypocritical for us. I think we should be, we, we should be kind of light, a light to, to all the nations instead of like just trying to save our own butts. I mean, that's, that seems like what we're trying to do is we're trying to save ourselves. But that's just the way I... I no, I, no, I, David, I think it's a good point, Rabbi Broid. I, 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 did you catch what David was yes, saying? Yes, of course. So I think that we want to support people being moral, not through legislation. Okay. I want to say I'll this to be very that. honest. I I'll go for that too. Okay. Not through legislation. Legislation okay. is involuntary. We should support people being moral other than through legislation. Okay. But, 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 but David, David, the flip side of what you're saying is, is that there's now legislation, which Rabbi Broid, we are going to see, our children will see it, where uh, the liberalization of, of what is considered gender and what we need to allow. Um, we know in England, it's already being uh, pushed into the religious schools there. What can we do to stave that off? It's happening here too, right? Right. And so, is it okay to say abortion, you know, after the baby's born, are you able to abort it? Are we able to say that's okay? Because because they're, they're, they're fine with that. You know, you know well, that's okay. David, I think you're conflating two things. The first thing that you said, I think Rabbi Broid sort of, I think was responding to, which is that we do need to stand and be have the courage enough to fight the zeitgeist and speak about what's in terms of this the, the gender, um, dis, you know, the, the gender I guess deconstruction that's occurred. Yeah. But but you know I don't. Now you're talking about actually uh, smothering a child after they're born because. They might have birth defects or something like that. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm against be... that. I would be against that. Of course. Of course. Uh, I... But there's always limits. You always push up against the up the wall. There always yeah. has to be some limits, but abortion's not the right place exactly because halacha recognizes the fluidity of the limits, drawing distinctions between Jew and Gentile and many different stages in the pregnancy. I That's mean, my okay. point. Abortion's the wrong place to draw the line. Even though I agree with you, a line should Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.